Well, good morning, everybody. This is Lon, and I'm so happy you've joined us for Live with Lon uh, this week. And we're going to be continuing in our study of the Gospels. And um, before we dig in, why don't we take a moment and pray? I know this has been crazy this week. I hope you've been safe, and I hope your loved ones have. Um, and I don't know why this is happening and God has chosen to do this, neither do you. But I do know God is sovereign, and I know his ways are above our ways, and his thoughts are above our thoughts, and that as high as the heavens are above the earth, so high are his thoughts above our thoughts and his ways above our ways, Isaiah 55. So right now, uh, I want us to take a minute and as sad, frustrated, unhappy, confused as we might be, Let's uh, surrender our hearts to the sovereignty of God and be at peace with that. Here we go. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, we need the peace of God that passes all understanding, Philippians chapter 4. And you tell us to bring our requests to you and make them known to you with thanksgiving, and you will give us that peace. Like Jesus said, not like the world do I give peace. I have my peace I give you. And that's what we need. And so, Lord Jesus, we come to you with thanksgiving. Not thanksgiving for what's happening in our world, but thanksgiving that a sovereign, omnipotent God is running all of this. And that whether we understand it or not, and whether we like it or not, you are in control. And we thank you for that great truth. And may you replace our confusion and our um, other emotions with the peace of God. Help us, Lord. We need that in these days. And we pray that you would be merciful to the human race, Lord Jesus. Merciful to us, merciful to our families, but merciful to the whole human race. And Lord, either stop this plague of the coronavirus instantly, supernaturally, like you did for David in 2 Samuel 24. Or Lord, help us to find some way of treating and controlling it. Lord Jesus, we need your mercy. So please... We come and we ask you, Lord Jesus. And you said, call unto me, Jeremiah 33, 3, and I will answer. And I will show you great and mighty things you know not. So, Lord Jesus, we love to uh, hold your promise up to you and say, please, Lord Jesus, uh, fulfill your word for us. And now, Lord, as we open the scripture Illuminate our hearts and minds that we might understand the Word of God. Encourage our hearts with us. Bring us hope and bring us instruction. And we pray this in Jesus' name. And everybody said, Amen. Okay. Well, we are going on in our not tall, not grande, not venti, but trenta study of the Word of God of the Gospels. And we just finished a little short mini-series on the plan of salvation. I uh, hope you, if you missed any of that, I hope you'll listen to it. Uh, I thought it was really good, and I think you, it'll really be beneficial to you to listen. And now 
we're going to move on uh, back to the ministry of John the Baptist uh, and going forward from there. Of course, we're using uh, the New King James uh, translation. And let's go to Matthew chapter 3, and let's look at the ministry of John the Baptist here in Matthew chapter 3. Here we are, and I'm beginning in verse 1. In those days John the Baptist came preaching in the wilderness of Judea, and saying, Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. For, Matthew says, this is he who was spoken of by the prophet Isaiah, saying, The voice of one crying in the wilderness, Prepare the way of the Lord, make his paths straight. And John himself was clothed in camel's hair with a leather belt around his waist, and his food was locusts and wild honey. Then Jerusalem, all Judea and all the region around the Jordan, went out to him and were baptized by him in the Jordan, confessing their sins. But when he saw many of the Pharisees and the Sadducees, the Jewish rabbis, coming to his baptism, he said to them, O brood of vipers, (laughs) who has warned you to flee from the wrath to come? Therefore, he said to them, bear fruits worthy of repentance. Now, we have John the Baptist's ministry repeated in all four Gospels as I told you a few weeks ago, indicating to us that this was a very important component of the life of Jesus and the ministry of Jesus. And what does John the Baptist preach? Well, friends, he preaches one thing. Repent. Repent. People were coming to him, confessing their sins, and he would baptize them. But his message was repent. And we want to talk today about repentance, because uh, the, uh, uh, the Bible teaches that the way we make all of the plan of salvation ours, as Paul said in Acts chapter 20, he said it in Acts 20 verse 21, he said he preached repentance towards God and faith towards our Lord Jesus Christ. Now, for the last four weeks, we've talked about faith towards uh, the Lord Jesus Christ, uh, trusting him and what he did on the cross for us to be our substitute uh, and to atone for us and to put a blood covering over us and to switch our race from Adams to Christ. We talked about the second half of that, but Paul said first half is repentance toward God. Now that's what we want to talk about today, because what activates the plan of salvation is when we repent towards God. And the whole Bible teaches repentance towards God. Listen, Matthew chapter 4, from that time, verse 17, Jesus began to preach and say, Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Luke 5.32, I have not come to call the righteous, Jesus said, but sinners to repentance. In Luke 24, just before Jesus went back to heaven, after the resurrection, he instructed his apostles that repentance and remission of sins should be preached in his name to all nations, beginning at Jerusalem. And look in Acts chapter 2, the very first sermon in the book of Acts. Peter 
does exactly what the Lord told him when the Jews listening to him said, what should we do? Acts 2.38, he said, repent and let every one of you be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ for the remission of sins and you shall receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. In his next sermon, Acts chapter 3, verse 19, Peter said, repent therefore and be converted that your sins may be blotted out. Now, what the Bible is telling us here, my friends, is that the way we get our sins blotted out, the way that Jesus comes in our life and gives us the gift of the Holy Spirit, uh, the way we get remission of sins is we repent. That is what activates the plan of salvation. So, it's very important that we are sure that we all know how to repent. You say, well, Lon, I've already repented. I'm sure that I'm born again. Well, wait a minute. Repentance is not just for non-believers. Uh-uh. Look at this. Revelation chapter 3, verse 19, writing the church of Laodicea, right near Colossae, the Colossian church. Jesus said, as many as I love, I rebuke and chasten. Hebrews 12 says, God chastens his children, not the devil's children. God doesn't chasten the devil's children, but his own. And, and so these are believers that Jesus is talking to, and he says to them, therefore, look, be zealous and repent. Look, folks, let me give you a quote. Repentance is not only the basis upon which God forgives people's sins and grants us eternal life. Yes, it is. That's salvation repentance. It is also the basis upon which a holy God lives in ongoing relationship with sinners even after we give our lives to Jesus Christ. Folks, there is a salvation repentance, which happens once, and then there is Christian life repentance, which happens every day, every moment of every day, where we as born-again sinners continue to repent of our sins that we commit every day in the sight of God. Bottom line is that repentance is not just for unbelievers. And if you're a believer listening to me, repentance and knowing how to do it is for you and it's for me. So this is for all of us. Now, you might ask, okay, great. How do I repent? If I wanted to repent, how do I do it? Tell me. Put some handles on it. I certainly will. Remember, if a preacher doesn't tell you so what and how, what good is he? And I'm going to tell you how and then so what. Okay, how do we repent? There are four basic steps, four basic pillars to biblical, godly repentance. And you say, why are you saying those things? Biblical, godly. Well, because I want to read to you 2 Corinthians 7, verse 10. Listen to this verse. It says, for godly sorrow, produces repentance, leading to salvation, and not to be regretted, but the sorrow of the world produces death. Folks, God says there are two different kinds of sorrow. There is sorrow of the world, which is, oh, I'm so sorry I got caught. I'm so sorry I'm in this mess. I'm so sorry that I messed things up. 
you know, how, what can I do to get things back right the way they were? Uh, uh, that, there's nothing spiritually transformational about worldly repentance because it doesn't include the four steps of godly repentance. Godly repentance, Jesus says, produces salvation. And it, it is not to be regretted when we do this in our life. So I'm going to talk to you not about worldly repentance. The whole world does that. You've experienced that. People come up to you and they say at work or in your family, I'm so sorry I did that. I'm so sorry, blah, blah, blah. And then they go and do the very same thing the next time. And, and there's no life change at all. That's sorrow of the world. That's worthless in terms of spiritual transformation, God says. I'm going to talk to you about the kind of repentance that brings spiritual transformation. And this kind of repentance is Holy Spirit produced in our heart and Holy Spirit driven in our heart. But it's only able to be done if you and I want to repent and choose to repent. The Holy Spirit will help us, but we have to choose it. And so it's a partnership uh, between us and the Holy Spirit that results in salvation and in ongoing relationship with Almighty God even after we're saved. So here we go. What are the four steps? Well, they all appear in the life of the prodigal son. Matthew, uh, Luke chapter 15. In Luke chapter 15, we have the parable of the prodigal son. And of course, we're using the new King James Bible. And prodigal, by the way, means wasteful. It doesn't mean debauched or sinful, it means wasteful son. Because this son took all of his inheritance and he wasted it. So, I think many of us are familiar with the story. Let me review. Uh, the man has two sons. The youngest son comes and says, Father, I want my inheritance now. I want all that's coming to me now. Then he takes it and he goes out and he, bro uh, uh, he blows it in profligate living. It, 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 he... He just goes out and goes wild and crazy and sinful living, and then he, he's got no more. He blows it all. And then a famine hits, and he's got no money, and he's got no food. Uh, but, uh, and so he goes to a friend of his who puts him out in the field feeding pigs. Uh, the lowest thing that you could be, uh, that someone could do to you as a Jewish man. And then he even has to fight with the pigs to try to get something to eat from the slop of the pigs. And then the Bible says, and that's where we pick up, the Bible says, chapter 15, verse 17, and then, look at this, he came to himself. And then, the Bible says, he came to his senses, finally. And he says, look, how many of my father's hired servants have bread enough to spare, and I'm perishing with hunger? I will arise and go to my father and say to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and before you, and I am no longer worthy to be called your son. Make me like one of your hired servants. And he arose. He actually didn't think about it. He did it. And came to his father, but when he was still a great way off, his father saw him and had compassion and ran to him and fell on his neck and kissed him. Woohoo! I bet you that boy stunk 
up a storm. But the father didn't care. And the son said, just like he practiced, Father, I have sinned against heaven and in your sight, and I am no longer worthy to be called your son. But the father said to his servants, Bring out the best robe and put it on him, and put a ring on his hand and sandals on his feet, and bring the fattened calf and kill us and let us eat and be merry, for this my son is alive again. He was dead, and now he's alive again. He was lost, and he is found. Now, in this parable, in the actions of the prodigal son, we find the four key steps to godly repentance. Let me show you what they are. Step number one is we have to admit we're going in the wrong direction. And this is what the boy did. The boy said, when he came to himself, he said, how many of my father's hired servants have bread enough to spare? And I am perishing with hunger. The boy said, hey, I'm going in the total wrong direction here. Now you say, well, he could have said that earlier when he ran out of money. He could have, but he didn't. He could have said that earlier when the man put him out to ten pigs. He could have, but he didn't. He could have said it earlier when he was fighting with the pigs in the slop at first. Yeah, he could have, but he didn't. And you know why? Pride. Pure and simple, pride. This is the reason that most of us will not from our heart truly admit that we're going in the wrong direction because we're too proud to do it. And we don't want to humble ourselves and admit that we have been wrong. I remember when I was a student in Chapel Hill that by the time I was a senior at UNC, I knew I was going in the wrong direction. I knew I was self-destructing. I knew my life was a complete wreck. This was the, this what this boy came to, saying, "Man, look at me. My life's a wreck. I, 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 I need a change of life. I can't keep going on like this." And I knew that too. Um, but I'd gotten to the bottom, and most people don't admit this till they get to the bottom. I mean, the bottom of the barrel. Uh, I love the saying, God deals with the desperate. Uh, He'll deal with the non-desperate, but the non-desperate generally don't want to deal with God. Until this boy got utterly desperate, he didn't want to deal with God. Human pride. But even though I knew I was going in the wrong direction, I didn't know why. Uh, It wasn't until I started reading the Bible that I realized why I was going in the wrong direction, and that's because I was out of step with the living God. I was disconnected and alienated from the living God. And so that leads to step two. And step two of repentance is that we come clean about our sin to God and to man. Look, the son did this, Luke 15, 18. He said, I will arise and go to my father. The father in this parable, of course, is God. And I will say to him, Father... I have sinned against heaven and before you. Look, David did the same thing after his sin with Bathsheba. He said, I acknowledge my sin to you, Psalm 32, and my iniquity I have not hidden. I said I will confess my transgressions to the Lord. This is step two. We confess our sins 
and we take full responsibility for our sins before God. Uh, we don't come to God and, and try in some way to soft pedal our sin. No, no, no. We come to God and take full responsibility for what we've done. We own our stuff. We don't blame it on our mother, our father, our brother, our sister, our ex-husband, our ex-wife, nothing. We take the total responsibility for our sin. And this is hard. This is, friends, true godly repentance is a bloody process. Because we have to go in and we can't mollycoddle ourselves and we can't be gentle on ourselves and we can't make excuses for ourselves and we can't rationalize our behavior. We've got to call sin, sin before God and before man. And only true godly repentance will do this. The sorrow of the world has always got an excuse for its behavior. True godly repentance says, I don't have an excuse. It's my fault. I am responsible. And doing this before God is one thing, but we also have to do it before people, man, folks that we have uh, offended and hurt and sinned against. We have to be honest and say, I don't have an excuse. I sinned against you. Boy, that's hard. And that takes the same kind of humility that we saw in step one. Now that leads to step three. Uh, we, we admit we're going in the wrong direction. We humble ourselves and confess our sins to God without excuses. And then step three, look, we accept the consequences of our actions. And we make amends if possible. Look, uh, Luke chapter 15, the boy said, I will arise and go to my father. And I will say to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and before you. There it is. He's accepting the responsibility for his sin. And watch. And I understand that there may be consequences, Father. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. I understand that's a consequence of what I've done. So make me like one of your hired servants. Here's a young man who says that I confess my sin. I have no excuses. And you know what? If there are consequences for my behavior, I accept them. I accept them because they're my fault. I accept them because I have no excuse for the way I behaved. And friends, listen, God often softens. He often mollifies our, the consequences to our sin when we come and confess our sins to him because he is a God of mercy. Sometimes he takes our consequences away altogether. Sometimes he leaves them, but he, he softens them. I love the very famous statement by Robert Murray McShane that God tempers the wind to the shorn lamb. You know, a lamb, after you've taken, after you've shorn it and taken the fleece off, uh, it can't protect itself against the wind in Scotland where, and uh, England where McShane was from. And that, that bitter wind uh, blows against these, these sheep that are, are freezing. 
And he says that God tempers the wind. He softens the wind towards the shorn lamb. When we come to God and we confess our sin, well, we're like shorn lambs. And God softens the wind in his mercy, even though he might leave some of it. He softens it, and we praise God for that. But whether he does or he doesn't, we are okay, because we understand. We brought this on ourselves. We have no excuse. And that's part. That's what this boy did. And, and uh, that's what David did. God said, the sword shall never leave your house, and the son by you in Bathsheba, this firstborn from that adulterous relationship, shall die. And David accepted that and said, yes, Lord, Psalm 51, yes, you are just when you speak, and you are blameless when you judge. No one can point a finger at you, God, David said, and blame you for this. It's my fault. And you know, going back and having to make amends in front of people is often the hardest part of this thing. Going back to an old girlfriend, an old boyfriend, uh, going back to uh, your parents, going back to your brothers and sisters, going back to an ex-husband, an ex-wife, or your children, and having to get down and humble yourself and say you're sorry and give money back if you stole it and file amended tax returns and do whatever you can to make things right. This is very hard and very humbling, but godly repentance will do this because our heart is broken over our sin and what we did. We're not just sorry we got caught, we're sorry we did it. Finally, step number four is we commit ourselves with God's help to genuine life change. Look at this. The prodigal son comes back and he goes back to his father. He just didn't sit in the pig pen and say, oh, you know, I feel so bad. No, no. He got up and went to his father and said, I'm back. Make me one of the hired hands. I'm back to live here. I'm back to contribute. I'm back to help with the family farm. I'm back to work. I'm back to obey God. I'm back to live living a productive lifestyle and an obedient lifestyle. You see, he, he didn't stay with the prostitutes and the, and, and the revelers. No, no. He came back and said, I want to live differently. And this is what repentance is all about. Metanoeo is the Greek word. It means to change your mind or to change your direction or to make a U-turn uh, in your mind and in your heart, to do an about face. And this is key to godly repentance. We, there is a desire in our heart to live differently. There is a commitment in our heart that we're going to live in obedience to God. We're going to live differently than we've been living. And that is the magic element in godly repentance. Uh, friends, we can admit that we're going the wrong direction. We can confess our sin. We can accept the consequences. But what makes godly repentance godly repentance is that we are committed to life change in obedience to God. And you know what? This is what I did when I came to Christ in Chapel Hill. Yeah, I admitted I was going the wrong direction. Yeah, uh, I came clean with my sin before God. Yeah, 
I went back to old fraternity brothers and old girlfriends and whatever and asked them to forgive me for things I'd done wrong. Uh, but you, that's not godly repentance yet until we say, and Lord, I'm making a U-turn. And by the grace of God and with the help of the power of the Holy Spirit, I'm going to live in obedience to you now to the best of my ability. Now you've got godly repentance. And this is what the uh, John the Baptist meant when he said to the rabbis, bring forth fruits worthy of, in keeping with repentance. If it's true, godly repentance, there will be fruit of that repentance. There will be changed actions and changed attitude and changed behavior and changed obedience to God. There will be clear uh, and, and visible fruit that we have come back to God and we are going to live now as a child of God. People will see it because it will be obvious in our life. This is true repentance. Fruit, all true repentance bears fruit. And if somebody tells you they came to Christ and there's no fruit of a changed life, my friend, uh, that was not godly repentance. I'm just telling you. You say, well, how can you judge people like that? Look, I'm not going to be their judge, but I'm just telling you, true repentance bears fruit. It bears life-changing fruit. And if there's not life change, then you only did three of the four steps and you did nothing more than godly sorrow. I mean, uh, nothing more than worldly sorrow. When I came to Christ, Bob Eckhart said, Lon, you got to get out of this town. And I did. I left Chapel Hill. Why? Because he said, if you really want to change your life and live for Christ, it's going to be hard to do it in this town. All your old girlfriends are here. All your old drinking buddies are here. All your old doping buddies are here. All your fraternity brothers are here. Everybody in this town has you in a mold of what you have been for the last five years. If you want to make a clean break and you want life change uh, for the sake of the Lord Jesus, it would really help you to get out of this town. And I think he really wanted to see how serious I was. Did I really want life change? Or did I just want a Band-Aid? Did I just want a panacea? But I didn't want true godly repentance. And you know what? I packed up everything and left town. Because I wanted life change. And if Bob said that's what I needed to do, I trusted him and I believed it and I did it. And... He was right. And if you want real life change, you may have to change who you hang out with. If you want real life change, you may have to change who, who you go out with after work. And you may have to change the places you go and the things you watch and, and the things you read. And, and you may have to change uh, some vital relationships in your life because they're going to inhibit you from the kind of life change that you have wanted is part of repentance. Now, that's as far as we want to go in the passage because we want to conclude by asking our most important question. And you know what it is, so you ready? Come on now, here we go. One, two, three, so what? 
Yeah, Ben, you're right. You say, so what? Well, my dear friends, if you're here and you've never trusted Christ, you've never done godly repentance and come to Jesus in salvation, this is for you. This is how God deals with sinners. Repentance. You cannot come to him any other way than by admitting you're going in the wrong direction, humbling yourself before him, confessing your sins and not making excuses, humbling yourself, accepting the consequences for what you did, humbling yourself, and committing yourself to genuine life change, to a U-turn in your life, humbling yourself and saying, God, help me make a U-turn. This is true repentance, and I hope you'll do that uh, as a, a person who needs to come to Christ. This is how you get all those things in the plan of salvation that God did for you. But I want to take these last couple minutes and talk to us as believers, because let me read the verse again, Revelation chapter 3, if you remember the verse, verse 19, as many as I love, Jesus said, I rebuke and chasten Therefore, be zealous and repent. Folks, you and I, if you're a true follower of Jesus, we need to repent every day. We need to be doing Christian life repenting every moment of every day. And how do we do it? Friends, we can go through those four steps just like this real quick. We can look at a woman wrong on the street. And you say, you know, Lon, I always hear people say that. And, you know, what do you want me to do? You want me to walk looking down at the ground my whole life? You know, I can't help if I see some woman on. Yeah, friends, it's not the first look. It's the second. Of course you can see her. But when you look back or your mind goes somewhere after you see her, that's when we get in trouble. And, and you can do it to a man as a woman. Every time we do that, we need to repent right then and there. And we can do it just like this. Lord Jesus, that's not what you have for me. You didn't call me to uncleanness, but to holiness. Going the wrong way. Lord, I confess to you, the way I looked at her or him was not holy. And I have no excuse for that. We can accept the consequences and say, Lord Jesus, uh, if you feel like I need to be disciplined in some way, fine. Lord, I'm so sorry. Whatever you decide to do, I deserve it. And then, last of all, we can say, Lord, help me, please, not to do that again today. Help me, please, Lord, by the power of the Holy Spirit, to help me look at people in a holy way. Hey, that repentance took, what, 20 seconds? But you repented. And the same thing's true with stuff that comes out of our mouth. You know, I have a real problem with this where I have to go, oh, Lord, that was the wrong thing to say, Lord Jesus. I have no business saying that. That is absolutely the wrong direction for me to be going in. Let no unwholesome thing come out of your mouth, Ephesians 4.32, but only that which is appropriate for building people up, whether it's a dirty joke or gossip or some kind of rumor mongering. And Lord Jesus... I confess to you, I had no business saying that, Lord, I was wrong. You know, I don't care what other people were saying. I needed to keep my mouth shut. Lord, please, I'm going to go back to that person. I'm going to make amends. I'm going to apologize to them and tell them I said something I had no business saying. 
And, and Lord Jesus, please help me the rest of the day. Put a muzzle over my mouth, Lord Jesus, by the power of the Holy Spirit and help me only to speak godly things, appropriate things. Hey, that's repentance in 30 seconds. And this is how we need to live. Listen, 1 John 1, 9 says this. If we, believers, confess our sins to God, if we repent and do that, God is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. And this is how we live in relationship to a holy God. As sinners, even though we're born again, our sin, our daily sin, still offends a holy God. And if we want to keep the relationship with him uh, clean and full, if we want to keep the pipes open and not clogged up when it comes to the power of God in our life, you know, it's like playing PlayStation. If we want to, when you kick off on football, if we want to keep the, the barometer, the little thermometer at the very top so there's maximum power in our life, we have to be repenting every day. And yes, to do this at night when we get home before we go to sleep in our prayers, sure. But don't wait that long. You don't have to wait that long. By then you may, you know, have who knows how many sins to deal with. Do it quickly, immediately, right there when the sin happens. And, and keep short accounts with God. Repentance is for Christians, just like it's for non-Christians coming to Christ. It's for us in keeping our relationship vibrant, open, and powerful with the Lord Jesus Christ every moment of every day. Repent. Repent. And we need to get used to doing it because it needs to be a, a daily function of our life. Let's pray. And with our heads bowed and our eyes closed, I want to give you just a moment to repent. Friends, if you've never come to Christ and you need to repent right now and accept Jesus and what he did for you on the cross as your payment for sin and as your ticket into heaven, then you can do it right now. Lord Jesus, my life's going in the wrong direction. I'll confess that to you and Lord it's my fault. And I know that. And Lord, the consequences I'm suffering are, I brought them on myself. But Lord, I want to give my life to Jesus. And I want to ask you to please help me make a U-turn in my life by the power of Christ. I commit myself to that with your help. Because I want you to be my Lord, not just my Savior. And I want to live under the authority of the Bible, not my own authority. So if you are listening and you've never practiced salvation repentance, do it right now. And for those of us who are believers, and we know we're believers, friends, we need to live a lifestyle of godly repentance. Each and every day, every minute of every day, our life should be a steady stream of repenting before God. When we do things that displease Him. 
Let's take a moment and let's all repent. Lord, make us people of repentance. And we pray this in Jesus' name. And everybody said, Amen. Okay, well, um, we're done. Uh, Next week we're going to continue on uh, in our study of the Gospels. And next week we're going to watch the Lord Jesus come and get baptized. I believe this is what we're going to do next week by John the Baptist. And we're going to watch the Holy Spirit descend from heaven and the Father speak from heaven. And we're going to talk about the Trinity. And wow, good stuff next week. God bless you. Thanks for joining. And let's have a repenting week.